I'd like to welcome all of you. I have a buddy who lives in California. His name is Leo. Uh, Leo's five years old. He calls me Papa John. He's a great friend of mine. When he was three, he uh, started preschool, and it was kind of a threatening experience to him because he stepped into a Spanish immersion preschool where everything was done in Spanish, and he didn't speak Spanish. And uh, can you imagine all of a sudden being in this environment where you have no idea what the teacher or any of the aides are talking about? And on the third day of class, uh, one of the aides told his mom that Leo came in the morning and went over by himself. She noticed him over against the wall and she walked over near him and his eyes were brimming with tears and he was saying, I trying to be brave, I trying to be brave. And she, yeah, it breaks grandma's heart. And I think uh, what Leo was dealing with was fear, confusion. What, what am I going to do here now when I don't understand anything that's going on? Fear is a part of life that every one of us has to deal with at one point or another in our life. In fact, fear is such a common thing that we have named our fears. I want to give us a little quiz to see how we can do on this, all right? How, how many know what acrophobia is? What's acrophobia? Fear of high places, yep. Fear of heights, acrophobia. Is that what we got? Yeah. How about this? How about agoraphobia? Fear of out, being outdoors, fear of being in crowded public spaces. For some of you, if you have agoraphobia, chaplain might be threatening for you. Uh, how about uh, this one, cockophobia? It's not cockophobia. That would be something different. Uh, cockophobia. It, it's the fear of ugliness. So some of you go, I've got that. <laughs> How about chorophobia? It's a fear that men that were raised in conservative churches in my generation have. It's the fear of dancing. <laughs> because we didn't dance as kids. And I know that the, the dance marathon's coming up. And it's 20, you know, 12 hours of dancing or whatever, and somebody invited me to it, and I'd say my moves would be used up in about 23 seconds. Here's, good, here's a good one, omphalophobia. Anybody know what omphalophobia is? This, this is the fear of belly buttons. More specifically, it's the fear of being touched by a belly button. But, you know, I'm thinking this whole, in my office this morning, we were talking about the fear of belly buttons and thinking, if you had that, how would you get ready in the morning? You know, you step out of the shower and you see yourself in the mirror, you go, ah! You know, you, how do you run away from your belly button? One more. I don't even know if I can say this one. Hippopotamonstrosis quipadeliophobia. It is the fear of long words, ironically, that's so. It is the fear of long words. Fear is a part of life. Sometimes it keeps us from trying new things. I know people who won't even pray about going on a missions trip because they're afraid of what might happen. I know people who won't try new foods because they're afraid it might taste bad. Some, sometimes just the unknown creates fear in us. Fear can paralyze us in decision making. It can keep us locked in a prison of what might happen. In fact, mostly when we think of what might happen, do you ever notice how we never tend to think, well, what if it all turns out well? 
What if I do this and I get a raise? What if I do this and I succeed? What if I do this and people say, that was just what I needed? No, we tend to think, what if I do it and I fail? What if I do it and I mess up? What if I do it and I look stupid? The what ifs always seem to be negative in our minds. I think fear can keep us from healthy relationships. I think there are things in us that we sometimes don't like. Things that we're maybe ashamed of or things that we think are inadequate, that we try to hide. We try to keep anybody from knowing. And as we hide, they don't know the real us. And we stunt our relationships because we're afraid of being known and the vulnerability that comes with it. Fear. Not something that God designed. Look at the words the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1. God did not give us a spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Fear does not come from God. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, said this, Fear is born of Satan. And if we'd only take time to think a moment, we would see that everything Satan says is founded upon a falsehood. Jesus told us that Satan is a liar and that when he speaks, his native tongue is lying, is untruth. And he, he is the one, I believe, who plants the seed of fear in us. It doesn't come from God. Maybe he says something like, go ahead and tithe if you want, but what if you can't pay your college bill? What if? Obedience, what if it makes you look odd in the world? Missionship, what if you get sick? He's planting lie thoughts in our minds. Today I want to talk about dealing with the fear in our lives. And I want to take us to a very familiar passage. You've probably heard it preached on previously in your college career here, but we're going back there again today because I think it's classic for us as we, it lays out a pattern for us to help us as we walk through confronting the fear of our lives. We're going to go back to Joshua chapter 1. If you read the first five books of the, New, of the Old Testament, you hear, see the story of God working with humankind. And beginning in Exodus, he sends Moses to Egypt to help uh, rescue the, the Israelites from their captivity in, in Egypt. And at the end of the book that just precedes Joshua, Moses dies. The greatest leader that Israel has ever known. The greatest prophet that Israel has ever known. I mean, Moses is the real deal for them, and he dies. And this is how Joshua 1 begins. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, he was Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead, now you. That had to be a rather frightening moment. Moses, the greatest leader ever, is dead, now you. You... And all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may always be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So... Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. On a purely personal level, Joshua must have been afraid. Moses, my servant, is dead, now you. You lead these people. You do something that the greatest leader in their history has not been able to do. You take them into territory that the greatest leader in history has not been able to convince them to to, to take on. You take them to the promised land. You replace the greatest leader ever. Now you. I think it's logical that we can can assume he was afraid. I think I would be a little nervous in that situation, wouldn't you? But I think you can do more than just assume it from human nature. I think you can make the kind of extrapolate that idea out of Scripture. In verses 6 through 9, in just four verses, God tells them to be strong and courageous four times. When he makes the announcement to the people of Israel that says, we're going into the promised land, we're going to take it, you know the one thing they ask of him? Be strong and courageous. If Joshua had had a reputation of being strong and courageous, I don't think people would have to say, be strong and courageous. I think they'd say, Joshua, just lead lead us like who you are. But again and again and again, he's confronted with this command, be strong and courageous in the face of a fearful situation. Joshua's about to lead them across the Jordan River. It's at flood stage. A normally normally placid stream is now maybe a half a mile wide, and it's rushing. He's about to lead them into territory where the closest big city is Jericho, a walled city that's unconquerable, basically. God says, let's start with the hardest thing first. Now, we don't have the command of God to lead the Israelites We don't have this command that says, wherever your feet go, I'll give you that land. If we did, you know, maybe you could go find some really cool house in Mary and walk around it, go knock on the door and say, excuse me, excuse me, the Lord told me wherever I placed my feet, I'd have that land, so would you move, please? And and ask them to move, you could take their territory. Uh, Joshua had that command. I think sometimes we need to be careful when we look at Scripture, when there is a promise given to make sure that it's a promise to us. So we don't have the command, we're going to conquer the promised land. Remember the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah? God comes to them when they're old and says, you who are childless, you're going to have a baby in your old age. And Abraham is, you know, they're in their 90s. I'm glad that's not a promise that comes to us. Because, I mean, Patty and I, we're done with that part of our lives. Would that be bizarre, whatever, see Patty walking around campus pregnant? Some of you are going, oh, yeah, grandma. (laughs) She knows I love her. But I tell you what we do have in Scripture 
is we have the commands that tell us not to be afraid, not to be anxious, to fear not, to walk obediently. We have plenty of those commands. We hear the voice of God saying to us, be strong and courageous. But what if we don't feel it? What if the fear part of us tends to rise up? Do we just use the Leo answer? Do we just say, I try to be brave, I try to be brave? I don't think that's enough. Instead of simply sucking it up and trying harder, I want to draw three thoughts out of this scripture today for us to live and put into practice. The first one is simply this. Choose to believe in the presence of God. Choose to believe in the presence of God in your life. Verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise of God. In Isaiah chapter 41, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the promise of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The fact of the matter is mere mortals can do a lot to you. They can persecute you. They can attack you. They can take your life. But the pre- see, the presence of God does not mean the absence of trouble. It doesn't mean the absence of challenge. Joshua had to lead a reluctant people into a land that was fortified. And he had, not all of them were likely thrilled by it. This is a complaining group of people. But the promise of God's presence enables us to endure problems with courage and to live in his strength. Doesn't mean our minds don't play tricks on us. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I was 13 or 14. My dad had a job that caused him to travel once in a while and occasionally he would take mom with him. And um, by this time my brother and sister were off at college and we lived in an apartment in the inner city of Chicago. And so they would let me stay at home at 13 or 14 by myself. Now you go, what? Say what? Uh, Bob and Carol Childs lived up to, upstairs from us in, this, in the apartment. And so they kept an eye on me, make sure John didn't have any parties or, 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 or if there were problems, I needed food or something, I could go to them. Uh, so it, it wasn't unsafe. But I was alone in the apartment. It was an old house, and at night, old houses cool down in the evening, and they begin to creak and groan and make noises, and I would go to, I'm sure that happened every night when my parents were there. I just didn't notice the noises, but when they were gone, I remember laying there and hearing the house start to creak and hear, hearing noises, and my, somewhere in my mind, I began to think, there's a burglar in the house. And so you talk yourself out of it as much as you can. No, 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 it's not, it's not really true. But the house kept creaking, and I finally became convinced there was a burglar in the house. I had in my closet in my bedroom a, a police nightstick. A, a friend of ours had been in the military police, and when he mustered out, he'd brought that with him, and he'd given it to my brother who'd passed it on to me because no telling when you need a nightstick growing up in Chicago like you carried it. You didn't. It was just in the closet. But uh, after I denied the reality that there was a burger in the, closet, in the house long enough, I got that nightstick and I went exploring the house. Now understand, I'm 13 or 14. I'm probably 5'4 and about 100 pounds. 
And I started in the back where my bedroom was, and I looked in my bedroom, I looked in the bathroom, I looked in the kitchen, I looked in the pantry, I looked in the dining room, I looked in my parents' room. I finally got to the living room. You know, I'm looking around for the burglar. And there's no, but there's a closet in the living room. A closet's a deep closet. In front are clothes and in back are storage. And, and I got to that closet, and I'd open the door quietly, and I threw back the clothes, and I go, ah! 14. And nobody was ever there. Now when I say nobody was ever there, what I'm embarrassed to say is this didn't just happen once. (laughs) This happened every time my parents traveled for about a year and a half period. I I was convinced that there was a burglar in the house, even though all evidence was to the contrary. And we didn't have much to steal anyway. I mean, we were poor. Your mind plays tricks on you and you are convinced sometimes of the reality of something that is not true there are times the evil ones uses our emotions to plant a thought in our mind of fear messages full of what ifs messages full of foreboding and we have a decision to make will we choose to believe the promise of God or will we choose to believe the lies of the evil one and that's a very practical question to ask you as you stew and as you worry and as you're anxious. In the face of fear, we have to make a decision. It's not to say, I try, not, I try to be brave. It's not to say that. It's to say, is God's word true or not? Is God's word true or not? And if it's true, what he says is, I will be with you. I will be with you. He's a presence in my life. This I choose to believe. That's the first step. Choose to believe in the presence of God. Here's the second step. Choose, to focus, choose focused concentration. Choose focused concentration. Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Another translation puts it this way. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. The message says don't for a minute let this book of the revelation be out of mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night. Get the idea? It's meditate on it day and night. It's more than simply reading the word. It's more than simply studying the word. It's meditating on it day and night. So the question is what does it mean to meditate? I had a professor here in college. Some of you know his name. He was a young guy when he, when he was my prof. His name was Wilbur Williams, who retired last year after 50 years. Um, he said it, there, there's a root connection to the idea of a, of a cow chewing its cud. Now, you need to understand, I am not a farmer, nor am I a scientist, and I don't understand much about cows, but I've been told they have four stomachs. And the theory kind of goes like this. The cow eats grass, chews it up, and swallows it. Stomach number one. After a while, it irps it up. Chews on it for a while. (laughs) Swallows it to stomach number two. After a while, it irps it up. Chews on it for a while. Swallows it. Stomach number three. After a while, this... It irps it up and chews on it some more and swallows it into stomach number four. And what began as grass now is cow. Because the cow has just been chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. Meditate on it. If you want a picture that's a little less repulsive, (laughs) the word literally means to mutter. 
Most of the time it's translated that way. Sometimes it describes a lion growling over its prey, just continually growling and rejoicing over something, but to mutter. In fact, there are places in Israel today where you go and you can see uh, conservative Orthodox Jews walking down the street and they're just moving their lips. They're just moving their lips. And what they're doing is muttering. They're, they're, they're saying the word. They're quoting the scripture. The, the words of God are on their lips again and again and again. And I think a lot of times we think, what if, what if, what if, what if, and our minds are full of fear. And what God says to Joshua is just keep muttering the word. Keep muttering the promises. Keep, keep replacing the what ifs with here's what God says. Be strong and courageous. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The God of peace is with me. You mutter his promise again and again and again. And every time the devil tries to remind you of your fear, you mutter the promise of God about your, his strength in you. I don't know what your particular fear is. I'm guessing we have several of them. You know, some of them, will will I get a job when I graduate? Will I graduate? Will I pass anatomy? Um, You know, what is the fear you have? I'm guessing that fear you have is one that recurs again and again and again. Search for a scripture that speaks to your heart. Memorize it. Stick it in your brain. And every time that fear starts to rise, claim the promise of God. And don't just think it. Mutter it. Say it. You say, I'll I'll be a little silly. Well, you know, what's what's sillier? Being afraid of something you don't need to be afraid of or muttering the word of God? I say, say the word of God. Claim the word of God over your life. If we fill our minds with the promises of God, we have hope. It's not just saying I won't be afraid. Fear comes to us. It's choosing to believe in, what, in God's presence and then taking the next step of claiming his promise. There's one third step for you, and that's to choose uncompromising obedience. Just simply obey. Verse 7 says, be careful to obey all the law the, my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from the right or to the left. I remember once a friend of mine posted on Facebook a question, and the question was this, what you, would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you were not afraid? And I think she meant it to be inspiring, but I responded, now Facebook isn't always the best place to have a discussion because sometimes you say stuff and you, know, you think you're gonna convince somebody and nobody ends up convinced, so. But I took a chance. I said, here's a better question, Sue. What would you do even though you are afraid? See, I think if we wait till we're not afraid, we'll wait much of our lives, many of us. What would you do even though you are afraid? What's so important that you'll act anyway? Fear is an emotional response to something, to some stimulus. We can choose to give in to it, or we can choose to defeat it by taking action. The other day I was searching for statements about fear. And as a pastor, I like to quote well-known thinkers. I quote A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorites. I, I, I quote C.S. Lewis sometimes. Sometimes I quote Rick Warren or Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said a lot of stuff. I, I've quoted Kierkegaard sometimes, although I will confess anytime I quote Kierkegaard, it's because I've read somebody else who's quoted Kierkegaard because I don't get Kierkegaard when I read him. So. But it's 
sounds scholarly when you say Kierkegaard, doesn't it? Uh, I've quoted Wesley. Today I want to quote a less regarded scholar, but one who's widely appreciated in today's culture, Taylor Swift. (laughs) Taylor Swift says, fearless is having fears, but jumping anyway. She's right. Fearless is having fears, but jumping anyway. Are you feeling the, now you can say, our, our campus chaplain, he's so deep, he quotes Taylor Swift. You might want to hide that fact from your parents. No, you can tell them, I don't care. Do you feel the first stirring of fear? Do you feel like it's baggage that's just starting to load it up on your life? Are you tempted to give in? Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, just keep putting one foot in front of another in obedience. Fill your life with action. What's the worst thing that can happen? I have a friend who's deathly afraid of flying. She really is. And she was uh, wanting to go to Florida, Living, lives in the Midwest, had reservations to spend a week in Fort Myers in the middle of winter. But she had to fly to get there. And she was just panic-stricken about getting on the plane. And um, I asked her one day, I said, you're a Christian, right? She said, yeah. I said, so, so let me ask you this. You, you climb on the plane, and it takes off, right? She goes, yeah. I said, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to either land in Fort Myers where it's warm and have a great week, or you're going to land in heaven Both of those are good. <laughs> now, I'm not sure I was being sympathetic enough, but this was, this, this was a person who, in much of her life, she was very just, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. She had a scientific mind. She was very matter of, matter of fact, but she had this unreasonable fear. Flying in an airplane is the safest way to travel. But she was gripped by it. And I tried to help frame it for her that there are worse things than what she was facing. And in fact, there's something better than landing in Fort Myers, although that would be cool this week, wouldn't it? It would be landing in heaven. In the face of fear, obedience is the perfect antidote. From time to time, I've heard someone say that there are 365 times in the Bible where God commands us to not be afraid. You go, 365 days in the year, 365 don't be afraid commands. How convenient, you know, a command per day. You know the only problem with that? I can't find it. I can't find 365 commands. And everywhere I've, lo- everywhere I've looked, no one else can either. Somebody came up with the idea someplace and it became an established, accepted kind of fact that we kind of say, yeah, well, it says 365 times, don't be afraid. But I don't think it does. <laughs> but it says it a lot. And whether it's 365 or not, or whether it's just 50, or even 10, when all is said and done, when the voice of God says, don't be afraid, we get to cling on to that. And says, he loves me passionately. He wants the very best for me. And it's not me just saying, I try to be brave, I try to be brave. It's beginning to fill the backpack of my life with an antidote that says, God is with me. 
He's with me. He's always there. He's promised me that he will be with me and sustain me. And so, whatever the next step of obedience, I will take. Earlier in the chapel, we sang Oceans. By the way, it's the most requested song we don't sing. That's because we sang it all the time three or four years ago. We sang it into the ground. We say, let's sing it now. And we sing about stepping out on the water. You know what? It's easier to sing than it is to do. But the only way to walk on water is to get out of the boat. Take that step of obedience in the face of fear. Let the power of God sustain you. Father, as we go from this place, may we have trust enough to believe that your word is true, that you are always with us. May we have commitment enough to live obediently. May we live not so that we don't feel fear, but may we live so that our faith overcomes it, so that others watch us and say, whatever they are, I need, because they've got something about the presence of God in their lives. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great spring break.